Welcome to the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee, and today we are going to do hot takes. Uh, Ivy's joining me. We also have Keegan Swenson from Santa Cruz Bicycles, uh, SRAM, Rafa, Monster, the whole other list of sponsors. I'm not sure. I probably forgot some good ones there, Keegan. I'm sorry. It's good to have you. Good, good to be uh, here. Yeah. Uh, first things first that we need to kick off. We need to ask you, we've got a lot of hot takes for you, Keegan. It's going to be fantastic. And this is going to be a short episode, probably like 50 minutes. Um, but it's just, uh, this week we're constrained on time and this is what we got. So we're going to make it a fun one. High value. Uh, first I want to ask you last year, you won the lifetime grand prix last year. For those that don't know, big gravel series in the U S um, it does have some mountain bike racing in it too, uh, but it's primarily a gravel series. And you won it last year, the inaugural inaugural year of it. What mistakes, even though you won a lot of the races and everything else, what mistakes did you make last year that you're planning on remedying for this year? Can you think of any? I mean, I didn't win Unbound. That was a mistake. I mean, just to put it bluntly. Uh, But in terms of like the overall series, I think that uh, I think I did everything quite well. Like I was relatively smart on equipment and tire choice and like, you know, looked at like the broad, you know, the whole, the whole season, the whole, instead of focusing on I me, mean, I still raced every race to win and was focusing on individual races, but I also had like the, the full, uh, calendar or last credit, the whole series in my back of my brain, you know, thinking about like, Oh, I need to be smart on tires and not risk it so much. And, you know, not maybe not risking like crashing and just being a little bit smarter and treating it as an overall while still trying to focus on the individual races. Um, uh, so it's definitely a bit of a balance there. Um, Cause you can't focus too much on the overall. Otherwise you let the individual races get away. And I think that's, you know, it's not the right way to do it. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a, bit of a balance, but, uh, yeah. I mean, in terms of like mistakes, I don't really think I made, uh, made a whole lot, you know, I did all raced all the events and, um, yeah, uh, obviously it went, went well. So just need to, you know, try and win on bad and strong again, I guess I could, that could have got a little better, made a mistake there at the end. But, uh, yeah, yeah, nothing too much, I guess. Do you feel like those mistakes are the things that prevented you from winning those two events specifically were things that are in the scope of your control that you can take actionable items away from for this year? I think so. I mean, I think that like I made some mistakes at unbound the last few miles, um, that I could, could remedy and, um, like do it over again. It's, it's possible to win that exact race. Um, are those mistakes? Obviously every, every race is different. Like, I don't want to like, but, um, I don't want to take away some sort of advantage, you know? Um, but at the same time, <laughs> are those mistakes that you can share? And I don't know if they apply to us because we're normal. Um, and you're not normal, but at the same time, maybe there's mistakes that you made there at unbound specifically that you have in mind that you're like, yeah, if I didn't do this, this would have helped me. Yeah. We want to learn from you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really was like, for me, I haven't had a whole lot of finishes with like that many, you know, there was like, I think there was five of us coming into the finish. And then there were the two, the two Dutch guys, Ivar and Tendam. Um, so the two of them, I knew they were going to work together in some capacity. So I wasn't really quite sure how to handle that. Then we had Boz and Alexi as well. Um, so I think also I just, in the end, I just didn't trust myself enough. I should have gone, gone earlier. Um, and just maybe countered Boz's attack on that hill or like, I just shouldn't have waited for the sprint in the end. I should have been in the end. I had to be willing to lose the race and finish fourth or fifth rather than like just gambling on the sprint. And like in a way, cause I knew I could, I knew for sure I could finish second in that sprint. I wasn't sure if I'd be able to beat Ivar or not. Um, but, uh, 
yeah, I guess in the end, the, the takeaway there was just like, trust, trust your gut and, uh, like be willing to lose the race in order to win at a certain extent and not, uh, not just focusing on second, I guess. I don't know. Kind of a, kind of a weird scenario, but, uh, mm. yeah, there's definitely some takeaways there. So thinking of trust your gut, that's only good if your gut's right. Like, <laughs> and, and I've learned like, it normally is <laughs> like, yeah, I've found that whenever, like, I think I should do something and I don't do it, then I lose or something goes wrong. So I'm like, I just should have done what I thought was right. So then the rest of the season, I was like, well, I'm just going to do whatever I think is right. And it ended up working, you know, um, Schwamigan, I really just blew it on tire choice. And I guess there was a bit of poor line choice at the end there. Like I attacked and I got sucked low and that was like a mistake I made and I crashed and that was the, what, what happened. Um, so had I, you know, stayed high and, not been a dumbass and ran better tires then that might've helped too, you know? Um, <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's all just like mistakes I made. There was like, wasn't any like, Oh, just bad luck. Cause I don't believe in bad luck. You know, it's, you make your choices and you live with them. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. the, what I'm getting at with the, your gut is only if it's right sort of thing. A lot of us, our gut isn't right. Right. Like, like we, our intuition is it's like our eyes get bigger than our stomachs. You know yourself really well. And you know, mm-hmm. your ability to perform and all these other like nuanced details that just most of us just don't know. But the interesting thing that I'm gathering from this is that it's not just like trust your gut, but trust yourself, like know your ability to perform and trust in that ability rather than thinking that because the situation is totally unique, you need to completely wipe the slate clean and think of it differently. Instead, it's, you're still the same rider that you know you are. And instead rely on what you know about yourself and, and stick with that. Um, because a lot of athletes, like it's hard to confuse gut with like your gut gets confused with ambition and you end up probably putting yourself in a spot where you're going to be writing checks that are going to bounce pretty hard and pretty fast. So, yeah, I mean, you got to know what's going to work for you, you know, and know what you're, you got to trust your ability and like find that, uh, yeah. Well, Uh, you you nailed it there. (laughs) Yeah. Keegan, it feels like you do a lot of reflection, not only when races don't go the way you want, but if, seems like you do it when things go right too, because it sounds like you're really pretty easily able to isolate what went wrong, um, because of how familiar you are with what happens when things go right. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd say that's pretty accurate. I mean, you can look at Leadville too, you know, like I won that race, but I was still like pretty bummed that I missed the record by like 96 seconds or something. (laughs) So, you know, I went back through and like analyzed every bit of the race in my head to figure out like where I could pick back some time and I'm already thinking about bike setup and what I'm going to do differently this year in order to get that record while still not like not throwing away the race, you know, because if you exclusively race for the record, then your chances of like blowing up are pretty good. So at a certain point you have to like focus on winning the race and then worry about the record. Um, yeah. so there's like a bit of a balance there to figure out like how you do that. Um, cause otherwise like you end up riding the front the whole time and driving the pace and then there's a chance you blow up and then you don't get either. So you have to like, kind of figure out how to do that. So barring bad yeah, weather, the record's going to fall this year is my prediction. So part of that is because so. <laughs> people are really going to like get frustrated about getting beat by you. Uh, now two years in a row, you want it and <laughs> going to, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I mean, they already are, uh, <laughs> but they're going to get really frustrated there. And, and, uh, I think that that's going to create a faster race actually. Um, in the beginning and for longer in the race, I bet the group will want to stick together a bit more, um, and try. So I think all that's going to make it so that it's a faster time. Yeah. And that's what I'd do if I were them. If they want to 
They really? have to go faster if they want to <laughs> drop everyone. Yeah, just the way it works. You want to like, win, go faster. You have to go faster. <laughs> like, yeah. um, you know. Uh, what, one so. thing I want to talk about then before we get into the hot takes is next year, or I should say this year now. Um, how's your training going? Have you done anything differently with your training this year compared to pre last year for a lifetime Grand Prix? Um, honestly, it's very similar. Um, a bit more volume this year. I think like I'm doing more like seven, eight, nine plus hour rides. And I think that like, uh, my coach and I've realized that those for me are like, they're not only they're very beneficial from a training standpoint, but they're also like, it's what I just really enjoy to do. So it's a good way to clear my head and like, like I'd rather go ride for seven or nine hours and go do any sort of structure. And you get a lot of benefit from doing these big rides. Um, it's not and just a lot totally of like, unstructured too, though. Like we should, I mean, I'm you're still riding, like I'm riding hard, you know, like I'm not just yeah. doodling around for, you know, these long rides. I'm still riding like a solid heart, like relatively hard endurance pace. Um, but I think yeah, it's a good way for me to, to like endurance. mentally, I want to, yeah. I want to stick on this really quick. Cause people are going to totally misunderstand that and think that you just go out, even though you said you don't noodle, they'll still hear that because you said that you didn't do structure, but it is structured because you're sticking to mid to like high endurance typically. And you're trying to hold that for the majority of, if not all of that, that ride. Is that correct? right? And I, and I don't stop. Like I'll stop once yeah. or so like it's minimum, like basically just as far as I can go and then you get water and then you finish. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm still riding relatively hard and it's a good way just for me to clear my head. And, um, it's a good, I just like doing it. There's nothing else I'd rather do than just go rip around the desert all day. So it's, uh, yeah, if you don't fall good, you know, good to test be- equipment, get tires dialed. Like if it survives, you know, these big rides in the desert, then it's going to be good for unbound and it gets the rest of your body ready. You know, it's like, if you want to be good at something, then do that thing. It's kind of my, uh, my mantra. <laughs> so, sure. Yeah, um, gravel racing is all long, you know, if y'all don't follow Keegan on Instagram, make sure you do it. Cause he goes on really cool long rides in the desert and it's big inspirational. <laughs> just, yeah. There's some pretty cool stuff. One thing about this too, though, in addition, again, I just want to, cause I'm already picturing some misunderstandings that people could have. You are doing structured work as well. Like you aren't just doing long rides. Um, today was your VO two day. You're doing five minute VO two yeah. intervals. You've been doing like those, uh, those high force, slow RPM or low RPM sweet spot. No, I still do a lot of structure. You know, yeah, it's pretty well split. And then even these rides, it's, if I'm riding, you know, these long, like eight plus hour rides, I'm still trying to ride 220 to 250 Watts the whole time. So it's not like I'm just like, you know, just cruising around. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're a special being if you can react to, or respond and adapt to all that sort of stuff and do that consistently. Like most people, a seven to eight hour ride. It's funny when I've, we look at like athletes careers and stuff and, when they do these huge rides, it's like typically after that, like the season is just in shambles. You know what I mean? Like it just, it, it's like, <laughs> it's hard to recover from. So, uh, it takes a long time to build up to it. You know, it's oh, not like you yeah. can just, you can't just start doing these rides and expect it to work. It takes like years and years of doing five hour rides, six hour rides. And then like you sprinkle in a seven hour ride and then you're like, oh, now I can, now, now it's all the same. I can ride 12 hours. It, it doesn't matter. You know, as long as you fuel well, for me, it's, it's, it's indifferent. So. And I'm not sure some people will ever really get to that point. Like some people just aren't like genetically cut out to be able to, and their life doesn't support the ability to, to adapt to that sort of stuff. It's tough. Or mentally, maybe they just hate it. Yeah, you know? totally. 
Yeah. So you have to enjoy it. Otherwise it's, there's not really a, at that point it like becomes even harder than doing efforts for some people, right? Like if their coach gave them a nine hour ride, they would just be like, no, I'm not going to do that. But I look forward to, I see that on the calendar. I'm like, oh yeah, I get to go do this sick ride, you know? <laughs> yeah. Special blend of weird. Um, okay. Yeah. So let's get into yeah. some. So I don't know. Ivy, I think, uh, I think Keegan does win it again this year. Uh, I'm pretty yeah. confident on that. So oh, for sure. If you are watching this right now, uh, let us know which races you think Keegan will win, which ones he will not win. And let us know if you think he's going to win or not the overall, uh, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. So clearly you've sent out a very big target for everybody else, uh, so that they can, uh, look at what you've done. They got beat and they got, uh, frankly, in some cases embarrassed, um, by you. So, uh, I would expect them to come out firing. So it'll be exciting to see. And some people have just tried to emulate your training this year, which I am curious to see how that works out because I know for most people, if they emulate what you do, it's just going to blow them up. So that will be interesting to see. Um, but give it a go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's get into some hot takes first. Did Keegan invest all of his lifetime grand prix prize money in general mills and post serial stonks? I mean, I probably should have, but I actually just bought a truck. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, did Keegan wash his bibs during Cape Epic or just use hand sanitizer? Oh my God. No, I actually didn't even use hand sanitizer. I just use the same pair every day. I'm <laughs> Disgusting. Why are you doing no, this? No, <laughs> uh, I wash them every day um, with a, in a laundry machine. Um, <laughs> like very, machine. very sanitized. Well done. Everything you have a hard, it's not like that race is hard enough. You don't need to make it harder for yourself. So um, <laughs> good point. They were, yeah. they were very well washed. All were new bibs. Nice. Uh, if yeah. you want to ask you. questions, uh, yeah. If you want to ask Keegan questions about Cape Epic, drop it down below in the comments. It's too big of a rabbit hole for us to get into, uh, today. Uh, we're not going to get into it, but, uh, okay. Let's talk about some training hot takes. We asked for these hot takes, by the way, on our Instagram, go follow trainer road on Instagram. Just type in trainer road. You'll find us on there. Uh, and that's where we got a ton of these and we got a ton. Some of them are hilariously complimentary or contrary to each other. And we've paired them appropriately so then we can get some good discussion on this. But, uh, the first two that work together quite well say most athletes would be faster if they swapped one training day per week with a true rest day. Then we also got another hot take that said most non-elite athletes aren't doing enough training volume to necessitate deload weeks. <laughs> so we have two different perspectives. One saying that we don't train enough to even need a rest week. And then number two saying that we would be faster if we swapped one of our training days for a recovery day. Ivy, what are your thoughts on this? When I read this, I just thought about how much faster I would be if I uh, allowed my rest day to actually be a rest day. I feel like <laughs> probably a lot mm. of athletes that work a lot and um, I don't even have like kids or family responsibilities, but um, I know how many athletes try to cram in all of the uh, rest day things into their rest day and how non-restful it really is. And I wonder how much more effective that day would be for me if I didn't um, try to do like a month's worth of errands on a rest day <laughs> and just like let myself relax. And uh, so I wonder, um, yeah, I do think that most athletes would be faster, not only if they just took a true rest day on the bike, but actually let themselves recover and really rest. And as far as non-athletes um, not doing enough training to necessitate the load weeks. Um, I don't know that that's true either just because of how demanding most, uh, non-athlete lives really are. Everyone has jobs and responsibilities and, um, you know, the training load on top of that is really taxing for most people. And 
to feel like you're going into an event or a goal um, deloaded and really fresh is pretty important. And even just like taking off a little bit of that intensity is really meaningful for athletes that have a lot on their plates. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, well said Ivy Keegan, do you have thoughts on this? I feel like you've taken rest more seriously over the past two years, just in like my observations. Like it seems like you really put it. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'd say it's as important or more important than the training. Um, that's one thing I feel like we've been kind of gotten a hold on the last couple of years is like training harder, but also resting harder, you know? Um, obviously when that's your job to do, it's, it's relatively easy. It's still hard sometimes. Cause you're like, oh, I want to go do this and want to go do that. And you'd be like, oh, I just need to, just need to chill today. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think with, uh, like when you're trying to work full time and train and whatever else, I think it's, I mean, it just it depends on what your goals are. You know, if you just want to be like a fit human, then don't rest, just train, you know, but if you want to try and win races and you're trying to like peak and do that, this and that, then, it's probably productive to have a true proper rest day here and there. So I think it's, I mean, obviously it's also different for everyone, right? Like your job is like very taxing and you're standing up all day and walking around and you're like, it's more like harder, hard work than you might actually need that rest day. Whereas maybe if you're like, your job is more mentally stressful, like if you're just at a computer most of the day and whatnot, then maybe you don't need that true rest day as much. I mean, I don't know. It's, I think it's very, uh, very like up to the individual. I think the second one about saying non-elite athletes aren't doing enough training volume to necessitate deload weeks that completely, uh, that contradicts what we know about how the human body adapts and improves. Like it's all relative to the individual. Like you, you right, like you're probably not training enough if you, like you can train more and, and then have the deload week, right? Like sure. you, you just, but it's like the way it whatever, needs to be when you dose yourself with training, it's a stimulus. That's a, that's typically just right. above what you're used to or you can handle. And then you have to deload in order to allow your body to adapt to it. So it's all relative. Like for some person it might be, even though it's a really small training load and they ride once a week, that's enough like to, to be right. a novel stimulus for them. And they do need to take some time off to be able to recover from that. So it's all, it's all relative really. Uh, okay. Next one, the rise in dominance of all rounders like Tade, Wout, and Matthew Vanderpool is proof of less doping in the pro peloton. It feels like a trap. Um, <laughs> it does feel like a trap, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is, yeah. the, this is Tade writing this into us right here. <laughs> it's, a bit of a loaded, it's a bit of a loaded, uh, question or hot take. I don't know. I think it's, I mean, I like to think the sport's cleaner than it was, but I don't think everyone's clean. I mean, that just the way that I mean, there's always going to be cheaters in any sport or any environment. So oh, yeah, professional environments, sports, non-athletic stuff, all of it. Like people will, yeah. people will seek advantage where it is not ethical or legally, you know, approved. That's right. just what happens. So I don't know. I feel like they're not proof that less doping is happening though. Like, and they're not proof that doping is happening either. It's just, they are, right. they're just incredible athletes doing incredible things. And, I don't and whether they're doping or not, they're incredible athletes. So it's, it's like, yeah. it's hard to like, you can't be like, Oh, they're doping for sure. It's like, you don't, you don't know. They might not, they probably aren't. They might, I don't, you just can't, uh, I don't know until, until they get caught and they're not right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one thing's for sure, at least from so. my perspective and Ivy, you could probably comment on this more, but particularly as a professional athlete, it does you no good to like ponder that and to think that like everybody else must be cheating. Like that's just a, that's a bad way to set yourself up. Like, you know, it's always going to be oh, yeah. mentally. 
Yeah, you can spend a lot of energy focusing on the the ways in which other people are better and what they could be doing differently. Um, just worry about yourself. Worry about yourself, babe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, next one. Group rides can help fitness. Keegan proved this with the shootout. 100%, right? Yeah, if it's the right group ride and you're doing it the right way, I mean, it's not the only way to get stronger, but I think not. also not all group rides are created equal, you know? Yeah, they can be bad for pretty, your fitness. Pretty special beast. So it's also if I, I did this every weekend, it would probably blow me up. Like, like you're, you're 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 playing with like house money, and I'm sitting there with just like a couple of chips. Like when we go right, like it's different when it's also different when yeah when for us like at the front of the shootout, like it's like encouraging the pace and like you're in control, whereas if you're not in control and you're just at the mercy of the shootout, then it's going to be a little different, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think they're good though. You just got to find the right one and maybe you don't, you don't do them too often though. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to do like three group rides a week, for example. Oh, heavens but, no. Yeah. Right. And that's what I'm thinking of yeah. when I'm saying like group rides can help your fitness or they can completely derail you and the urge to do group rides and see your homies and uh, go somewhere new can outweigh your desire to do structured training and kind of make you plateau or burn you out a little bit, depending upon how many you're doing. Um, but yeah, like to Keegan's point about being in control of a group ride, especially a race ride versus just hanging on, like I wonder how much it really helps you to be that person that is like, okay, how long can I hang on? You know, does that really help your fitness to just go go completely in the red for 10 minutes and then get popped? Probably yeah. doesn't help your fitness a ton and definitely doesn't help your mental state. You just, you know, your sense of. Yeah. Still good to do though. I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> at times okay. it is. I find it at times you would want to do it all the time. Yeah, yeah. Because if you end up looking at that, like you blow up and you limp home, like, great. So you just went out and you did a 10 minute effort. Like in a normal, like if you were to do productive training, you might've done like 60 minutes of quality work somewhere. And that's likely to give you even more like benefit than just like, you know, just going out getting blown up and then limping home. So it's, it's kind of a tricky thing. The biggest mistake that I see is when athletes assimilate whatever training they had on the plan to the group ride and just like, yeah, the group ride checks that box. You have to be the one that is dictating the pace and can ride however you want in order for that to be the case. Like when uh, right. Keegan and I talk about the shootout, he's like, yeah, I'm going to this week I, I focused on like VO two efforts or I focused on like a long threshold effort, went for long bombs or something else or like attacks. That's for like the, the, the 1% far less than that. that can actually decide how they want to ride in a group ride. In most cases you can't. So you should never assume that it's somehow equal with a workout and you shouldn't replace it with that. You should carve out space within your training plan for something like that. If you are going to do it regularly and then you have to treat it separate as its own set of variables. You can't just assume that and you can know what threshold workout. And you can also, once you do the group ride a few times, you can get to know like how many TSS it is and how hard it is. Like for me, the shootouts between two fifty, like the full shootout is between two fifty and like just over 300. Yeah. That, and that's a hard one, right? So like you yeah. can do it easier, but you know, for sure it's going to be at least like, mid two hundreds. So you can kind of plan around like that much TSS. Yeah. Right. And you don't let the group ride TSS too. Right. Like it's hard to, yeah, it is hard TSS. It's a lot for, you know, four and a half, five hours. You don't let the group ride really define what your training day looks like either. Like, you you add on more and add structure sometimes if you need to, right? Sometimes. 
or I'll, you know, like for like, there's like that Madeira climb on the shootout, like, oh, I'm going to ride, I'm going to attack at the bottom and we're going to do more of a threshold effort. Or maybe I'm going to like, we're going to treat it more as like over and unders. It just depends on who's there too. Like sometimes if there's a bunch of really good climbers, we can just attack each other over and over and treat it as more of like, like a surgy effort versus like <laughs> long and like grinding. So just, I don't know, you can do it different ways. And you also don't like, you don't have to win the group ride either. You know, like yep. a lot of times I rarely win the shootout because I'm just riding like an idiot the whole time trying to get myself dropped. <laughs> That's normally the goal is like attack and ride hard enough to like, then someone counterattacks, you can barely get back on the wheel. So, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, a lot of That's ways to go goal. about it. <laughs> That's the goal it accomplishes for you. It's not like a structured workout or anything. It's right. like that one where you get to explore new, <laughs> new depths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next one. Normalized power has, has, or was created to just stroke egos. I just want to put a kibosh on this. I've heard this a lot, particularly from like the coaching community, uh, because they're like, well, your average power is your average power. It's what you did. Normalized power being non-zero and being weighted and everything else is just to make you feel better. And that's not the case. Normalized power is just trying to get across the concept that creating going from 300 to 301 Watts compared to just going from 10 to 11 Watts, even though it's only a one watt jump going for 300 to 301 is harder. It's a lot harder. That one watt jump takes a whole lot more energy cost. So normalized power is weighted for that reason to give you a better indication of what the effort is like. An average power doesn't reflect what an effort feels like. And we all know that because sometimes you can go out and you can just do like 30 thirties. Um, or you can do like a crit where you're sitting in and it was actually still, you know, plenty hard, but then, uh, because of all the attacks, which your average power is just in the tank, it's super low. Right. So no, it's just, it represents the effort. Whereas average power represents the average power. Normalized power represents the effort. I feel like that's the best way to think of it instead of trying to think of them as either or, or equal. I don't know if you I wonder what, what kind of place you'd have to be in for NP to stroke your ego. Because for me, it just is depressing. Yikes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next one. What did Keegan do to recover from Cape Epic? Uh, I mean, the same thing I guess I'd do from any big recovery, like big effort like Old Pueblo or anything that's massive. You just have to take a few days, took a couple of days off, and then a couple of easy days of just kind of easy riding. Actually even skipped the shootout that weekend, which was a real bummer. <laughs> um, had, I, even, I even texted the coach like, hey, so is this like two-hour ride I mean I can do the short shootout or like no shootout? <laughs> like, no, can't do that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just mega chill. Um basically just a week of recovery rides and then on the weekend gotten like a two hour ride and a three hour ride and then kind of started tested the waters again with like some tempo on the following Monday, which I guess is just about a week out and felt pretty good. So we were able to get back to training. So, nice. um, kind of just got to play it by ear and you know, everyone's different and depends on how the race went too. And like how, to, how deep you had to dig. Did you get like ill during the race? Did you have stomach? Like I think all those things are, everything's, there's so many variables that it's not like one, one for all for sure. Next one. Masters 35 plus are just elite athletes that don't want to train. <laughs> Ivy, do you want to take this one? <laughs> there are definitely some elite athletes that are also masters athletes, man. Sometimes, oh, yeah. uh, like jumping into, or they're sandbaggers. 
Yeah, that too. <laughs> Just gonna put it out there. Like they, they want to, they want to win, and they they don't want to get their ass kicked. In Y'all the pro are race, on the so. call with a master's yeah. athlete right now, so you know. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Wait, I turned thirty five this year. I'm a master's athlete. We're both masters. Look at us. There we go, Ivy. Yeah. All right. I, I hard disagree with this. Um, I think, there's <laughs> I, been like, uh, I think it's like 40 plus memes or something like that. One of these accounts on Instagram, <laughs> he calls himself masters elite. I think it is. <laughs> so like, yeah, I mean, it's a yeah. thing like, no, no, they, it's not that they don't want to train. Um, elites are just, that they have, insane. they have, or they have lives, like they have exactly. jobs yeah. and they're and elites say that about the master's athletes. Cause they're jealous because the master's athletes maybe are juggling more things than they are and they're still beating them. So but there could be some. Masters 35 plus athletes that are elites that don't want to train. This is Just, like, it could impossible. It could be a few of them. It's not like it's like not impossible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair point, Keegan. Uh, <laughs> next one. <laughs> Threshold training is undervalued and underutilized by too many cyclists. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Hard agree. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, the sort of work that nobody wants to do, you know? Um, but it's. That's why it makes you so good. It's so productive, man. Like, and you do have to respect it too. I found like I have to have to make sure that I'm not going to be doing threshold work. And the next day do something really hard or like really hard work the day before threshold work. Like I'm usually kind of like a, every other day in terms of the hardness, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's so powerful. Right. Ivy. It's super effective. Best way to get faster, uh, like long-term and both like big picture and for like singular events too like short events, sprint events, like threshold is very powerful. Yeah. It's the best. Uh, then a next one, this is where we get three different, very interesting perspectives. So we just had somebody saying threshold is undervalued and underutilized by too many cyclists. Then another person says this world needs more tempo. It isn't evil and it is race specific. And then the next, I didn't write that question. (laughs) Are you sure Keegan? (laughs) The burner account said not Keegan. Yeah. Um, not Keegan. (laughs) And then the next one says people spend too much time between endurance and VO2 and it makes them slow. So, <laughs> so this person says there's clearly varying perspectives here on training intensity distribution on, on which is right. But let's go to the, we already covered the threshold one. It's got its place and it's extremely valuable. You have to respect it and understand that it's going to take its toll. Keegan on the tempo part, you said you didn't write it because you like that perspective, right? Like tempo's valuable and race specific. Yeah. And like, I mean, they do say it, it is race specific and that's true. Like if you go look at any, almost any race, I mean, especially gravel racing or any sort of you know, road racing, any sort of longer like events that aren't XCO, even XCO is a fair bit of tempo, I'd say. But, uh, all those races will have hours of tempo. Like you're spending so much time in that zone and between those zones, you're, like you're doing that and then you're going hard after like, I think, I don't know. Tempo is very race specific. I think it's very helpful. Mm-hmm. So, and then there's that perspective of us spending too much time in tempo or threshold, or if you want to blur the lines between them and call it sweet spot as well. Um, and that that is making them slow. I think this is like, all of these are true to a certain extent because we see a lot of athletes that go out and they do like, um, they just go out and do their rides. And in their mind, they call it like a Z2 ride, like an easy ride. And in reality, they're just bouncing up and down. And we've, we've beat this horse to death, uh, on this podcast, but they're bouncing up and down across all the different zones. And they're spending a lot of time above threshold and everything else, but it's averaging out to be in the middle, like a, you know, 0.7 IF or something like that. Um, and then there's a lot of athletes that also just like on the triathlon side, it was interesting talking to a lot of athletes, like they don't even know what their max 
30 second, one minute, five minute, 10 minute power is because they just never do it. Right. So, uh, because they're just doing like a lot of athletes just do low intensity stuff when they just have to prepare for low intensity. So, and all of these things are probably true, but the biggest thing that I've found with training intensity distribution is that having something that is evenly distributed weighted toward the bottom in terms of time spent is typically going to be the best. Like you spend more time at lower intensities than you do at anaerobic, of course. And it's probably going to look like a bar chart that steps down. And that's typically what you see is like the best for most athletes. Um, weird. You're middle training. Hmm? <laughs> that's yeah, so I, weird. <laughs> I know there's, and, and weird there's, how that there's works. room for polarization within that and polarized training can work. Um, it just, you know, everything has like its pluses and minuses. So, um, it's all, it's all something to, to consider, but polarized pyramidal, all of them are options that can work. But remember that like avoiding one because it's like really bad or something probably isn't productive. It's good to spend time in, in those different zones. Well, and I think athletes that are time crunched too really do have that perspective when they don't have, you know, a great, uh, amount of time allotted for, for training. They think that, um, it's, it would, it's a waste of time to do any lower intensity stuff and you have to get the most bang for your buck and do a super high intensity workout every time. Um, or it's a waste of time. Uh, and it's easy to look at those tempo or threshold workouts and not feel, I mean, you, you guys know, they're just weirdly uncomfortable, um, and not a huge burn. And so I think some athletes think that it's a waste of time if they can only train a couple days a week and they're doing that instead of like a VO two max workout. Um, and that's just not true. Yeah. It's like anything. And we'll get to this with the hot take later on, but anything is better than, than, uh, than nothing. So, uh, next one structured outdoor workouts are really hard to accurately do. And because of that, they're not worth it. I mean, your workouts are probably way too complicated. If that's the case, mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty easy to do a uh, structure outside. That's pretty much all, uh, all most of us do. And, so. and as long as you have like the roads and the circumstances for it, I mean, if you live in like uh, you know, Metro Manhattan, it might be tough. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, that would, that would be difficult. But it's also be difficult to do any sort of riding, right? Yes. Like yes. it'd be hard to just go do like a zone two ride because you're constantly stopping and dealing with bites and whatever else. So at that point, like it becomes kind of a moot point, I guess. Then doing anything outside is difficult. So yeah. Every once in a while I have an off day though and feel like I cannot uh, I hit the power target and I chase it and I know what to do and I know how to, you know, monitor my power and ride smoothly, but just every once in a while I have a weird day and my power profile is like for, you know, something that's supposed to look like this and I, or look smooth and I can't, I can't figure it out. It happens to me sometimes. Um, so for those that struggle, I, I get it. Um, but you're thanks. still getting something out of it. Like it's still, yeah, totally. still worth it. Right? I should look at my like, average power and then it makes sense. Right. I did it. Just kidding. Right. <laughs> Don't do that. Or just, you know, because <laughs> then you'll sprint for 30 seconds and then call it good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it's like you just try to stay as close to the target as you can every second along the way through that interval. And if, and over time you'll get better at it too. That's the big thing I've learned is that you just, it takes time. Just like the first time you ride with a power meter and you're like, what does this number even mean? It's bouncing all over the place. Like you get used to it and you get better at it. So I wouldn't say that they're, yes, they can be hard to do depending on circumstances and experience, but that doesn't mean that they're not worth it. And I think there's a lot to be gained by taking your trainer road workouts outside. That's kind of a tip 
stay tuned for Instagram. Uh, Ivy's uh, working on a, a quick video showing you how <laughs> to do that. Uh, and you can just go to our training road Instagram on there and check it out. But I love it. I think it's a great way to do things. I use indoor and outdoor training strategically based on time, based on convenience, based on uh, being able to hit the quality that I want, uh, whatever the circumstances are based on weather, of course, and light. Uh, having both is a really cool option. So, okay. The last one for training says people need to stop obsessing about the small things and just train and do the work. Consistency is key. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Uh, Keegan, you can worry about splitting hairs, right? But I feel like the rest of us are probably have like the low hanging fruit of like, well, you only did 30% of your workouts in the training plan. So like, you know, meanwhile, I'm worrying about what sort of wax I'm using on my chain. And if it's like, you know, <laughs> faster while I'm only doing 30% of my workouts, I right. hard agree with this one. I think that in most cases, just do the work and consistency. Is it? I do think it depends though. Some of those really small things have a really big impact. Uh, like trying to hit a protein target each day. Um, mm -hmm. if you're severely depleted, uh, keeping track of that and keeping track of how many grams you're getting per day and then suddenly meeting a target and feeling amazing is pretty impactful. And that's a kind of small thing to, you know, look at a microscopic level of how many grams of protein you're getting per day or something like that. But I do hear you. Um, yeah, like I mean, nutrition's kind of a big thing though, right? That's yeah, it's, it's a yeah. big thing. It's not like a, my, uh, making sure. That yeah. Like I'd say like that's, fueled. yeah, I'd say I'd put that in like the big thing category of like, along with training, I guess when small things, it's like ceramic bearings and like wax chains and like, like, obs like obsessing over like grams here and there. It's like, you just get faster. Yeah. Okay. The nutrition thing, right. Ivy, like it enables consistency. Right. So that's like another really good key about what you pointed out there is if you're depriving yourself, it's going to make it really hard to train. Um, and, and right. you, you can deprive yourself subconsciously, not actively doing it. Like it can just happen, you know? So, um, yeah, but uh, all in all, I, w I think that this is good cool. because it encourages to focus on consistency. And I do like that part of it. So I agree with that hot take in that regard. We should make a hierarchy of things that we should obsess over as athletes <laughs> with like consistency the being at the bottom. That's, that's hardness, whatever the hierarchy of needs is. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. The top yeah. being is your chain waxed or not. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I have so many people that are extremely concerned. I just posted my bike check on Instagram and they're extremely concerned about the fact that I don't have a wax chain and I am absolutely not concerned. I just want to make that clear. I don't care. Like, it's for racing only. Right? And I'm just trying to do my yeah. workouts, man. Like if I, if I do my training, that's going to matter way more than, than the chain. So uh, if people heard the condition of my chain, sometimes they'd be appalled. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And next time you are thinking that your chain's making you fast, listen to that chain after you go through some puddle or get some dust on it. It probably sounds just like any other chain. So, you know, yeah, just turn the music up. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> when your car is breaking, just yeah, exactly. turn the stereo up. Uh, this Pro next tip. one. Uh, yeah, good one, Keegan. I like it. Uh, this next one on nutrition says your drinkable carbs are giving you cavities. And then a parallel one not from the same person you ride faster with freshly brushed teeth. Um, <laughs> I honestly, I agree with the whole, yeah, but they probably are freshly like. brushed teeth thing too. Like, dude, I would not want to, I, I, I brush my teeth after like every time I eat anything, I have like a compulsive thing with it. 
And it would weird me out if I had like disgusting breath and I was riding. And Dude, this is like, a weird, yeah. weird, uh, thing that I do. I have to brush my teeth before every training ride or race because I swear if my, if my teeth are fuzzy at all, when I'm training, it will completely distract me. Like it totally <laughs> yeah. will. I have to yeah. brush gross. my teeth right before I train. It's really weird. <laughs> Keegan. I try to brush them before I train or I try to brush them after I train. Um, but recently I've been trying to brush them more after because I've come to realize of like how much, you know, sugar you put in your mouth. But I don't think, I mean, I'd argue that I'd like otherwise off the bike, I pretty much only drink like water. I don't really drink any sort of sugary drinks off the bike. So probably I end up probably drinking the same amount of stuff as like your average American person, I guess, in terms of sugary <laughs> drinks. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, they probably are giving you cavities, but so is everything else. Yeah. So this, just brush this, your teeth. This segment sponsored by Dentists of America or something like that. <laughs> um, Yeti Owners of America. Uh, the, he, in this case, like with the cavities thing, this is N equals one, but I, like, I drink, I take in a lot of carbs through fluid. I don't have any cavities when I go to the dentist. I go to the dentist, like, I bet the fluid's probably better than, like, chews or gels. Yeah. Cause I, because I think the dentists, chews probably stick into your teeth. Yes. Dentist, write in and let us know. But I think that the big problem is when you have that sugar caught between teeth or stuck on your teeth or sitting on your teeth for a really long time, right? And in most cases, like like I brush my teeth after every single ride. That's just something I do. So, you know, yeah, it's not an issue. So uh, once again, brought to you by dentist. Okay, next one. <laughs> uh, how do you safely reach race weight? This is more of a question than a hot take. And I guess like you could pose a hot take that it's like hard to reach uh, race weight safely, I guess, based on normal things, but I disagree. I think that race weight is whatever it needs to be. Um, if people, yeah, I themselves, mean, if you're training hard and you're like have decent nutrition, it's going to sort itself out. Yes. And if yeah, you want to yeah. lose weight then just train in the heat or altitude, I don't know. Like <laughs> you, can, you can still eat the same and it just, it just works, you know, eat a little bit less. I don't know. Don't go crazy. Keegan, you don't know. say that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just the way it is. You know, if you want to lose weight, don't eat as much. I don't know. Like, but don't go crazy with it. Talk to a nutritionist or a doctor, you know? Yeah. But it's not something to obsess over. I think your body kind of naturally just finds its way. If you're training hard and you're training properly, like it's not something you can like drastically change. Mm -hmm. And in the end, like more power is more better than less weight. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I I kind that's of, I think like, that's what you should focus on. Yeah. I feel like if you nourish yourself adequately and then you're training consistently, you're going to find whatever the ideal weight is. And ideal weight is what it is on race day as a result. Right. It's not like it's, it's like standard you're reaching for. It's just, it's the product of what it is. You know, you can't go chasing a number. Otherwise you're going to end up like your training's going to suffer and you're not going to recover and it's just not going to work. So that's just a bad rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like deprivation is more common where athletes like they try, they say, I need to reach race weight. So I need to deprive or cut myself like in down in terms of what I'm eating. And then what happens is they end up starving themselves, then binging. And then they have this like constant back and forth. I've been there personally, like totally done it. Where like, I'm you know, depriving myself constantly. Then I come home and I'm like, Oh neat. Like a whole box of rice Krispies. That's not enough. I'll also have a box of pop tarts. Like, you know, right. like anything I can get in me because I've been depriving myself. And in the end, um, that doesn't end up leading to any sort of optimized weight or performance. 
And it definitely doesn't lead to me feeling good either. So instead, what I found is just like nourishing myself, making sure that I'm taking in what I need to on the bike and then off the bike, I'm eating foods that I really enjoy and I'm trying to fit in as much color as possible. Whole foods. Great right. Foods. And maybe like, Oh, like maybe yeah. drink a little less alcohol or like just try and focus on like being healthy and your race weight will find its way. Cause it just, it's just kind of the way it works. I think. But yeah. Ivy. yeah. Easy to, Oh yeah. Um, stuff like alcohol and, you know, extra snacks and sugar, like you can do a big calorie deficit, but still leave those in there and not feel like you're making a lot of traction. And, um, I do think that anyone that feels like they're, they need to lose weight for racing or need to reach a race weight, talking to an actual nutritionist is really important. Someone like your general practitioner or doctor isn't really familiar with generally speaking, um, high level endurance athletes or, or even just endurance athletes and really what fundamental fundamental needs are. And if you were to, you know, give them an example of what you eat in a normal day or week, they wouldn't, you know, a nutritionist is the best person to look at that critically with you and help you understand what you need to be doing less or potentially more of to reach your ideal body composition. And your ideal body composition, like you guys were saying, is when you are nourished and go fast. Yep. And it's going to change too. Like, um, it just, it evolves and changes over time. So, um, yeah, don't go chasing a number like Keegan said, uh, next one, how many carbs per hour does Keegan consume on hard rides? It's more of a question than a hot take. Um, right around a hundred, give or take depends on how hard the ride is, but it doesn't vary too much between, you know, 80 and 120. Yeah. So right in that range. I say most I've heard, I think from you is somewhere around 120 to 130 probably. So, yeah, it just, it like, I'm like, like more like, like a, just a more like a zone two ride. It's not, not that high. Um, but if I could say like doing VO two intervals, it's, it is like 120. So it just depends on the workout and how long it is. Um, and how like some days I just like, okay, I'm not going to fast. I'm just going to eat as I feel today. And you know, some days you come focus more on it. It depends on the workout, but yeah, always, always a lot, I guess. Yeah. Not Mateo oh, Jorgensen least, level yeah. 160. The dude's a beast. So yeah, sometimes that out. much, but, uh, gotta yeah, you gotta, the you know, <laughs> exactly. There's a time and place for that for sure. Yeah. And then, uh, French toast is better than pancakes. Sometimes no, yeah, I'm not going to fight them on that. I'm a hundred percent except for race food. It, there's the egg in there and everything else probably is going to make it so that it doesn't digest quite the same as typical pancakes from just like a crusties mix, which is just like simple. Yeah. Uh, basic stuff, that's, but it could be good. Yeah, you know, use white bread, a couple eggs. Like it's not going to be that different, I guess. If you really like French toast, then it's going to be fine. Tastes way better to me, French toast than pancakes. Like it, it was a good. Big slab of sourdough bread, Ooh. French toast the other day. Oh, it was crazy. So good. Best of the mm. best. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, these next ones are connected. Uh, the next three of them. One elevation exists. Two alto- and if you haven't listened to the podcast, some of this might not make sense uh, with Keegan before, I should say. Uh, number two, altitude isn't real as long as you aren't aware of what elevation you are at. And number three, That's true. Keegan's belief that altitude is not real is proof that he's actually a flat earther. Mm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess if out there, I don't know. I'm not sure if that checks out. But. Tin hat gets placed on. Um, <laughs> But I like the second one. Altitude isn't real as long as you aren't aware of what elevation you're at. That's what you're getting at with saying altitude isn't real, huh? I mean, it's also like you just can't think about it too much, you know? 
Like mm-hmm. if it gets, it's only real if you let it get, get in your head. Agreed. So I mean, it is real. The... Like you have to, you have to be like somewhat cognizant of it, but you can't let it hold you back. You know, it's just, uh, it's a, it's a balance. You know? <laughs> You're the top of the hierarchy of concerns as for cyclists. <laughs> yeah. A cu- yeah. Just a couple below waxing your chains. Yeah. Meaning that it isn't very important. Yeah. There's many other yeah. important things that you should worry about beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. And just cause it isn't real for me doesn't mean it isn't real for someone else, I guess. Yeah. But, well, yeah. It's more fun when you just. Tub, Tubbin would disagree. Yeah. I, he, he, he thinks too much about it. <laughs> Tobin thinks too much about it for sure. Uh, okay. Keegan's top five metalcore albums, please. We, we all know that you love metal and music. Oh, in general. Yes. I made a list. Ooh. This is the Aww. one question that John gave me ahead of time. Cause otherwise I'd be sitting here <laughs> thinking forever. To be clear, he wanted to fly blind and this is going to be the last one that we cover today. Um, but he wanted to fly blind. So, uh, and I actually did 10 because I couldn't pick just five. So wow. you're going to have to just like Extra hold down for all. here for impressive. a second. Okay. Yeah. So we got Sent Paternal by Bring Me the Horizon. We have Cold Like War from We Came as Romans, Parkway Drive, uh, oh, sorry, Atlas, Parkway Drive. There is a Hell, Believe Me, I've Seen It, There's a Heaven, Let's Keep It a Secret, Bring Me the Horizon, Diamond, Stick to Your Guns, Oh, The Places You'll Go, Out of Australia, Can You Say Anything, Classic Jack, You Are We, While She Sleeps, For Those That Wish to Exist, Architects, and Let the Ocean Take Me, Amity Affliction. Nice. I noticed you forgot was, Creed on there. Is that? <laughs> Should have just thrown it in the end. It's for you. Sorry. It's <laughs> uh, good stuff. Everyone, uh, well, I'm thanks. Keegan's agent today. Um, also, Keegan publishes a lot of good playlists on his Spotify. You can go follow. Yes. They're pretty good. I do. Everyone always is asking for playlists and music and stuff. So if you just go to Spotify, it is all, it's all there. It's all public. It's nothing. True. Yeah, you can go check it all out. Next week, we're going to be back with a normal Ask a Cycling Coach podcast with questions you submit. Do that at trainerroad.com slash podcast. We look forward to talking to you all then. It's going to be great. And if you are listening to this and you haven't signed up for Trainer Road, that's a great way to help support this podcast. Go do it and get faster. Uh, use Plan Builder. We just actually shipped some updates that came with adaptive training, or I should say with AI FTP detection. Now AI FTP detection is the default testing method. So when you build whatever training plan you have, you don't have RAM tests on your calendar anymore. Instead, AI FTP detection is always there. And every 28 days or so, it's going to run a check on you to see if it's, if it senses an increase in FTP, it's going to tell you what it thinks is your FTP is. You can accept it or you can deny it and you can keep training like that. And then the really cool thing is when you get to your specialty phase, it works very differently. It isn't going to give you a big bump because it knows that it's really important in the specialty phase to work on extending time and zone or repeatability or those little things. So instead, unless it really recognizes a need for a change, um, it's not going to do anything to you in the specialty phase with your FTP. And if it does recognize a big need for a change, it's just going to suggest a smaller tweak in order to keep your training as productive as possible and help you keep continuing to do that. So it's super cool. Go check it out. Uh, go sign up for trainerroad.com or at trainerroad.com. And we will talk to you all next week. Thanks everybody. Take care. Thanks guys. Bye.